And so we're going to uh, look at a passage together from Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read some verses to you um, that some of you will know well. It's a story of Jesus as he is uh, walking uh, through, um, uh, he's walking out of Jericho, along the Jericho road towards Jerusalem. And uh, this is what the verses say. So it should come up behind me on the screen. This is what it says. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet. But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you. Rabboni, the blind man, said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. I remember many years ago hearing uh, someone uh, preaching at a Bible week at Stoneleigh uh, and the title of the sermon was, uh, it was from this passage. It was the shout that stopped God. Bartimaeus' voice cut through all the background noise and Jesus heard him that day. Now the point is this, Jesus didn't have to stop. Nobody else seemed to want him to. So why did he stop? Was Bartimaeus uh, special case was he the Jose Mourinho special one was he the only sick person on the Jericho road that day I don't think he was was he the only one that day that was calling out to Jesus I really don't think that he was the only one shouting out to Jesus that day did Jesus stop because Bartimaeus shouted louder than anyone else. No. All we know is that Bartimaeus cried out for mercy, and that is what he got. So what does God being merciful mean? This morning we're the last but one in our series, glorious, as we explore the attributes of God. What does it mean for God to be merciful? In the Old Testament, mercy is understood as God's kindness and his compassion towards men and women. It's more than just pity. Oh, you know, God feeling sorry for us and looking over us and going, oh, bless them. Oh, That is not mercy. Mercy is pity that takes action. 
Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, defines God's mercy as his goodness towards those in misery and distress. It's also God holding back from inflicting punishment that we rightfully deserve because we've rebelled against him. In the New Testament, as we explore the New Testament, mercy is easier to comprehend because we see how God's Son, Jesus, treats people. We're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so people regularly called out to Jesus to have mercy on them, and we read that many of them had their cries answered. Jesus showed mercy by having compassion on people who were desperate for God's help in the circumstances they were facing because Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He knew that they needed to know the great shepherd of our souls, his father. Jesus walked through this world as completely God and man at the same time. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus makes it clear that he never did anything by himself. He only ever did what he saw his father doing. And so today, out of this passage that we've just looked at, we're going to explore God's great mercy. God's great mercy, that's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And as we do that, it's going to provoke us to worship. The first of all, I want us to see this, that God is rich in mercy. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote as he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says this, By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. Wow! God is So rich in mercy. But you know, some people struggle when they read through the Old Testament. I remember uh, a a guy called Butch and uh, in a previous church. And as uh, he was exploring faith, I remember him saying to me, he said, Steve, I really don't like the God of the Old Testament. He felt that God, that the God he read about in the Old Testament was harsh and cruel in some of the circumstances and the way he treated people. And deep down, lots of people wish that God was more like Jesus. I want to say, you have missed the point, if that's what you're thinking. Michael Reeves, in his book, The Good God, says this. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. Recently, we've been exploring the attributes of God together. 
We've seen that God is transcendent. He is greater and above anything that we can comprehend and understand. He is so far different to us whilst we're created in his image. And yet he's also a God who draws near to us. And we've talked about a God who is transcendent, yet a God who walks alongside us. We've explored a God who is holy and just, but also loving and good. He is a God who never changes. And he is so rich in mercy. A.W. Tozer says, Mercy is an attribute of God which disposes God to be actively compassionate. God is an actively compassionate God. In Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18, Isaiah writes this, Therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. The Lord is waiting to show you mercy. And it's rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. You know, we struggle comprehending a God who is uh, perfect and just in all his ways and yet merciful. Can God be just and merciful? Is it a contradiction? Andrew Wilson in his book Incomparable says this mercy and justice seem to stand in tension someone who is guilty we reckon can either be met with justice which means being punished or mercy which means being let off justice involves acting without mercy mercy involves momentarily suspending justice so we assume you can't be both merciful and just at the same time If this is true, no one has told God. You see, God's mercy isn't the suspension or the disappearance of his justice. Rather, it is God transferring punishment. That's the basis of what we read in the Old Testament, of what the, uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system. That's why the Old Testament is full of sacrifices. Because an animal, what was happening in an animal sacrifice, the blood of the animal that was a sign that people's wrongdoing, people's sin was being transferred to the animal so that they could be forgiven. Mercy was being shown as a result of sacrifice. It's why in the temple, when the blood of the animal, the priest took the blood of the animal into the most holy place, into God's presence, he placed the sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. It was all pointing forward to the day coming when God's son Jesus would break into this world and his blood would be shed on a cross for us that we would receive mercy. That we would receive the love of God which we didn't deserve. Jesus died 
on the cross because of God's mercy. God isn't merciful because Jesus died on the cross. God is merciful because he is merciful. The cross is a sign of God's mercy. Jesus went to the cross because God is merciful. The cross is where mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what James tells us in chapter 2, verse 13 of his book. God is rich in mercy. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. God is rich in mercy towards you. The second thing I want us to see is this, is that God chooses to show mercy. In Romans chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I remember reading a story about Napoleon. And Napoleon uh, was uh, the emperor he was in, had uh, the whole French army, and uh, he had to dispense justice. And one of his soldiers had, uh, had not fulfilled the role he was supposed to, and he was about to pass judgment, and it would have been execution. And the boy's mother comes before him and comes and cries out. She cries out to him for mercy. She says, have mercy on my boy. And Napoleon says, he doesn't deserve mercy. And the woman says this, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. None of us deserve mercy. As Jesus left Jericho that day, Bartimaeus went home happy. I want you to think about this. Did everybody else that day have their heart cry met and their need answered? We don't know for definite, but I want to suggest that they didn't. In John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, Jesus visited the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And as you read that story, there were clearly lots of people who were in need of healing. But it seems that only one person was healed that day. And what's worse, the person who is healed doesn't seem, as the story rolls on, to be particularly grateful for being healed. So why did he and not others get healed that day? Mercy. God, Paul tells us that God chooses who he will show mercy to. And he asks them the question that stirs within us all when we hear that. Is God being unfair? Is God not being righteous? 
No. Paul is quoting what God himself says. And it's, a, it's an incident that happens in Exodus chapter 33 as Moses is before God pleading for his people. And he's saying, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. You, this glorious God. I want to know you. I want to see you. Will you reveal yourself to me? And God says, yes, but you can't see my, to my face because you won't be able to live. And then as he's explaining this to Moses, he, he says, I will show mercy to who I will show mercy to, who I choose to show mercy to. He's revealing that he's free to show compassion to who he wants to show compassion to. In Job we read that God, Job says God doesn't have to give us an account of why he does what he does. Who are we to question God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who made us, who breathed life into us? Who are we to say that God is unjust or unfair? He doesn't need to give an account to us. You see, we're not saved by our merit, we're saved because of his mercy. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Not one of us deserves mercy. And it is a mystery that any of us have received it. On that day, Bartimaeus becomes aware that Jesus is passing by. We don't know how he becomes aware because he's blind, he can't see. He is a commotion. Maybe he asks people around him, what's going on? And they said, Jesus is passing by. And something happened as he heard this. Something happened in his heart. And he thought, maybe, just maybe, Jesus will stop for me. And he hopes starts to stir in his heart and he begins to cry out. And he starts to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Only awareness of the presence of God stirs us to cry out to him for mercy. The Bible says that we are all dead in our sin. Dead, dead to God. No spiritual life. How can we call out to God unless he first comes to us and we somehow hear an inkling, a whisper that there is a God in heaven who loves us. The This is what theologians call the prevenient grace of God. The grace of God that comes to us, that stirs us to even think, maybe, just maybe, God might stop for me today. How can people who are dead to God, who've ignored his existence, cry to him for mercy unless he's first been at work in our hearts? And throughout the Bible, we read about people who cry out to God for mercy and are heard. From the Israelites who are suffering brutal oppression in the Old Testament, from their Egyptian overlords, they cry to God for mercy and God hears their cry. We read of the psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 1, who cries out, he says, I cried out to the Lord and he heard my cry. We read of Jonah, 
as he's been swallowed by this great fish, crying out to God for mercy and God having mercy on him. But the truth is this. God is only ever merciful on the basis of the cross. John Stott says this. The gospel is good news of mercy to the undeserving. That's you and that's me. The symbol of the religion of Jesus is the cross, not the scales. Standing over us is not the Statue of Liberty with a set of scales. Because I say we are all in trouble if that's the case. We stand at the foot of the cross where God has dispensed his mercy upon us because Jesus took the judgment of God on our behalf. As a result of what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us, we can come and cry out to God for mercy. And we can come and cry for mercy for ourselves and for others. And that's what we've been doing this morning. We're crying out to God to break into situations, to have mercy. And we're doing it because Jesus died on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the writer encourages us, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you in need today? There is one place to come. I want to tell you, you are in the right place this morning. We come before a throne of grace. And as we cry out, we have a God who hears our cry. Finally, because we have received mercy, God expects us to be a people who are rich in mercy. You see, showing mercy is the evidence uh, that God has transformed our lives. And people show mercy in all sorts of ways. There's not one size fits all. Mercy is not an add-on or an optional extra. It is the test of, the genu- of authenticity in the Christian life. You read James chapter 2 verses 12 to 17. And you'll see that. James is saying that if you are a follower of Jesus, mercy should be evident in the way you treat other people. Only those who have received mercy can possibly show mercy. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, you can read an incident. Someone comes to, a religious person comes to Jesus and they they ask him a question, what do I need to do to get to heaven, to be right with God? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? What does the Bible say? And this guy who's a teacher of the law, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. You've got it right. That's what you do. You love God and you love others because God has loved you so much because you've received mercy from God. But the the teacher of the Lord says, has a bit of a problem with that. Love your neighbor as yourself because he sort of knows in his heart that deep down he doesn't love everybody quite like that. So he says, 
So who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a parable, tells a story. And the guy probably starts off thinking, oh, this is going to be helpful. But it was a trap. And when we ask, when we look to justify ourselves before God, well, God comes and catches us. And we suddenly see God's great mercy revealed. You see, the person questioning Jesus realized they need wriggle room. Wanted some wriggle room, who their neighbor was. See, the deep-rooted point behind this, this guy's question is, there are really some people who really don't deserve our mercy. And we've all thought like that. Why on earth would we help people who hate us? Why go out of our way for people who are needy, but they're not destitute? They don't do anything to help themselves. Just like the person questioning Jesus, we don't want to justify ourselves. Mercy, like that, makes us feel uncomfortable. And so Jesus tells a story. He tells a story of, again, it's on the Jericho Road. Previously, Bartimaeus, Jesus has been walking out of Jericho. Now he tells a story about a man who's walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And the road which I've actually driven on travels, it, it falls several thousand feet to Jericho, the city of Palms, which is below sea level. Several miles long. It's a twisty, turny road. And there are all sorts of rocks. And, and there are all sorts of places where people could hide. And bandits would hide. It was a dangerous road. In the day, it was known as the bloody road. Today's equivalent would be walking down a dark alley in a tough part of town. And the man in the story is attacked. He's robbed. He's left for dead. He has no hope. He needs someone to show him mercy. And then in the, as the story unfolds, there are two people who come along. Religious people. And these religious people, they see him, but they walk on the other side of the road because they're more concerned about their own welfare. More concerned about their ceremonial cleanness. And both of them fail to have mercy on this stranger in need. That was their job. They were religious people. That's what their job was. And they failed in their responsibility. And the hero of a story is a despised Samaritan. The Jews despise Samaritans. Look down on them. The supposed Good guys in the story are not so good after all. And the bad guy is the good guy. And Jesus uses the story to display to us the mercy that we should show. You see, many people in our world are without hope. We're living in days where people's need is going to increase and it's only going to get tougher in this next year. And by abandoning God, humanity has been waylaid. This once Christian nation has turned its back on the living God. We have gone our own way. 
And the world we live in is under the control, we're told, of the evil one. And he's been a liar and a murderer since the beginning, Jesus says. And Paul tells the Ephesians that we are people who are without hope and without God in the world. We have no hope without him. We need mercy, but none of us deserves it. Tim Keller says this in his book, Ministries of Mercy. Perhaps we need to see that instead of living on islands of ease, we are all living on the Jericho Road. We need to live lives that demonstrate God's great mercy to needy people. How do we do that? Well, Jesus' parable gives us some clues. We need to live with our eyes open to what's happening around us. We don't turn our eyes and look the other way. The Samaritans saw an opportunity for mercy. We need to be people who pray every day for eyes to see opportunities to demonstrate God's mercy. The Samaritan stopped for a man in need. And in the midst of our busyness, we may be on our busy days, we may have places to go, but we need to be people who are prepared to stop for those who are in need. The Samaritan was willing to be delayed. The Samaritan crossed the road to someone who was different from him. We need to be those who are willing to cross over, to put ourselves out towards those who are different from us. Maybe don't have the privileges that we've had. We need to be those who are prepared to put ourselves out. Mercy isn't cheap. Mercy is costly. The great mercy of God cost him everything. He gave his beloved son that we might receive mercy. We need to be those who do what we can. You know, you can't do everything. You can't stop for every person, but you can stop for some. It's not our job to fix people. We point them to one who can fix them, the only one, the living God. We're to be those like the Samaritan who go the extra mile. The Samaritan was prepared for the long haul. We need to be prepared to walk alongside people as they battle, as they struggle. Sometimes things don't happen straight away. Sometimes people struggle to receive God's mercy and we need to help them receive it by walking with them and help them through. There's rarely a quick fix. And we do it expecting nothing back. God is calling us to be a people who show mercy in these days. As we draw to a close this morning, I want you to know this. God is rich in mercy. He is so rich in mercy. He is wonderful. He is the answer to this needy world. I tell you, he took hold of me 
When I was 23, I was a mess and God came to me. I didn't deserve it. I received mercy from God and he turned my life around. I didn't deserve it. I stand here today and declare to you, God is rich in mercy. God chooses to show mercy. And this morning and in the coming days and the weeks and the months, we can come to his throne of grace and ask for mercy to help us, but to help others and to pray for others. And I would urge you to be people who are looking for opportunities every day for God to show mercy and demonstrate mercy. Let's be those who live on the Jericho Road. Live on the Jericho Road lives that demonstrate the mercy that, of God that he has shown to us. It says this, a couple of verses I'm going to read to you. This is what it says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 2 Corinthians. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are, in when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. As we finish this morning... Where are we on the Jericho Road? Maybe we're sitting by the side of the road and we've heard the first, we've heard a rumor Jesus is passing by. And we know that we need help. We know that we need saving, rescuing. We're blind, but we know we need to see and only Jesus can open our spiritually blind eyes. If that's where you are this morning, then you can cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And I want to say to you, if you cry out and cry out for the grace of God this morning, he will hear your cry and stop for you, just like he did for Bartimaeus all those years ago. Maybe you're part of the crowd that day. Maybe you've come asking for others. Maybe you know you've got people you love who are in need. Maybe a sister or a friend. I want to tell you, you can come this morning to a throne of grace and find mercy to help you in their need as you pray for them. Maybe this morning you know that you have been walking on the Jericho Road and you've been crossing over to the other side. You've just been so busy living your own life not thinking of others. You know that you should have shown mercy more often. And this morning maybe you need to cry out, God, give me eyes of mercy. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Our cry for mercy cuts through all the background noise and as John read that scripture earlier we have a someone in heaven who pleads our case before the father one who ever lives to intercede Jesus the son of God the one 
through whom we receive mercy, pleads before a Father in heaven for us. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me on stage. We're going to sing in a moment. But we're going to respond to God right now. We've been crying out for mercy earlier. And we're going to take a moment to do it again. So wherever you're at, if you are knowing that you feel like that Bartimaeus, you... You want Jesus to stop for you. You know you've been spiritually blind. You want him to open your eyes. You can cry out for mercy. Just say, Jesus, save me. Rescue me. Come to me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I can see him and what he did for me. Put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Maybe this morning you know you're you're battling for someone who needs a breakthrough. Some of you will know My sister is starting chemotherapy next week. Praying to God. I'm pleading for her. God, have mercy. Have mercy on her. Come to her. Many of you will be battling for maybe stuff in your own lives or other people you know and love. And for some of you, you know that God has shown great mercy to you and you know the challenge for you in the coming days is to be more merciful. And so I want you to ask God to help you. So let's stand together, wherever you're at. And reach out your hands to him. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Thank you that your mercy, your store of mercy never runs dry. Father, for those this morning who know that they've been spiritually blind, I pray that you would come and open their eyes that they would see Jesus this morning. That they might put their trust in him who died on their behalf, that they might know you as a father. I pray that there will be a revelation this morning, right now, as they reach out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Father, come and break in to their hearts and lives. Father, for those who are coming to you, part of crying out, have mercy on themselves or on a situation that others are facing, just like we prayed for David and Jane earlier. Lord Jesus, would you hear their cry for mercy? Hear their cry for mercy. Would you stop for them? Would you intervene and show your great mercy? Father, in these days, in this nation, oh God, we need your mercy have mercy on us we don't deserve it have mercy on us as a nation and we say oh God may all of us say may we be people who show the mercy of God in the coming days Holy Spirit help us